This is a HeadGum Podcast. Andrew, this week's show is brought to you by Squarespace. Who are they? Squarespace, they make websites with their website. Why just inhabit the analog world when you can have a home in the digital one? Squarespace <laughs> will help you build a cool new website using their beautiful templates created by world-class designers. Free and secure hosting means you don't have to pay extra for that. And there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. Plus, they have 24-7 award-winning customer support. Anything else about Squarespace the folks need to know, Andrew? They're good at websites. Nothing to patch. That's what I got. Yeah, Laura and I were making one for her over the weekend, and I think it might be one of the first websites she's ever made. And it went pretty smoothly. Uh, cool. And we use Squarespace for our website, which means I know no, how to use it. So The first website that she's made, and probably like the third website that you've made. I don't want to so. say, well, we don't have time to get into the very first website I made, and I actually don't know how many websites Laura's ever made. I don't want to besmirch her expertise. Anyway, angel fire skills. Yeah. If you want to hone your Squarespace skills, though, go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. That's squarespace.com slash overdue. Squarespace. Squarespace? Squarespace. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we're here to talk about a book. A book. An actual factual book. Uh, Candide ou l'optimisme by Voltaire. <laughs> uh the conceit of this show, our show, every show, is that one of us reads the book, tells the other one about it. And you just listen along. You don't have to do anything. You just keep doing what you're doing. We'll talk about the book for you. Don't you worry. Andrew, have you ever read Candide before? I've never read Candide before because if I had read it, it would have broken the rule of the show. And I couldn't have done it. That's how I tricked and you I into volunteered for telling it. us about the rule. <laughs> um, mm. My exposure nice. to Candide, I think, is my French teacher in high school mentioning it probably. <laughs> me learning about Voltaire sort of in high school social studies and also in high school I sang a song from the operetta about Candide called Best of All Possible Worlds. It was not about Candide, it was an adaptation of Candide. It wasn't a musical about the guy who wrote the book or whatever. Well, and the Best of All Possible Worlds thing is a like a theory that Candide painstakingly knocks, knocks down over the yes. course of its runtime. So. Yes. So that's all I know about Candide. I look forward to learning more about it. Well, you can t- tell me about Voltaire. Now, I thought maybe he was a card game that came with Windows XP, but... Huh. You're, I'm getting from our producer that that is not correct. Can I can you tell me more. I can see why you would think that. Um, he was born in 1694, uh, died in 1778. Nice. His name <laughs> was not Voltaire it's right, when he it's was. right in there. <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, Francois Marie Arouette. Uh, and he was born in Paris, big old family. And he was nicknamed Zozo by some of them. He did not apparently keep, go by that, which would have been cool also. Mm-hmm. Um, his Zozo's name, petals. His name, Andrew, what? Um, comes from a couple of different things we think. 
It could be an anagram of Aruvet Lee, which is like the Latin spelling of Aruvet with Lee for like the beginning of the youth or the young, like he's the young Aruvet. I don't know. That's confusing. Um, apparently a nickname of his was the little volunteer or le petit volontaire, which maybe he <laughs> shortened that. Um, it could that be one sounds, <laughs> that one doesn't sound as good. No, uh, it could be a reversal of the syllables of Ervol, which is his family's hometown. Uh, it's probably a mix of all bunch of them. And also in 1719, he wrote a letter to, uh, the philosopher Rousseau saying, I was so unhappy under the name of Arouette that I have taken another primarily so as to cease to be confused with the poet Roi. So just didn't like that people maybe said some other dude's name instead of his. I guess I'm just surprised that he didn't write down in a notebook somewhere. This is this. I'm Voltaire and this is why. <laughs> Apparently he got exiled to Great Britain or I guess England at the time. In 1726, because uh, some dude was like, what's up with your dumb name? And he was like, what's up with your dumb name? (laughs) And then the guy hired some people to beat him up. And so uh, Voltaire tried to challenge the guy to a duel. He got in more trouble, was going to get tossed in the Bastille again, and instead took like two years exile in England. Huh. Which is, I guess, guess a thing you could do. (laughs) I guess I'm just thinking of every every band that I've ever read an interview with where they're just walking around all day, every day, like, please ask me about my name. Please ask me where my name comes from. I'm dying to tell you the story where I got this name. Yeah. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine why it would be another way for an author. Well, and if it was like a lot of 1700s, there was there would have been another Voltaire out there who spelled it slightly differently but like from the same town and then we'd mm-hmm. be wondering whether or not Voltaire like stole the name and just made mm-hmm. it more popular mm-hmm. who should get all the money that kind mm-hmm. of thing if this were bands if this were bands if this were but bands. it's not it's but books it's not, but it's books um so what's up with Voltaire as i said he had gotten in trouble a lot he wanted to be even when he was a boy he got in trouble cuz he wanted to like write books and stuff and his dad was like you should be a lawyer and his dad forced him to be a lawyer, but then sucker, he wrote a bunch of books instead. Um, he, Classic lawyers. Yeah, he he did get in trouble a lot for his writing. He once spent 11 months in the Bastille for accusing the king's regent of incest. Um, but then later, the same guy, I guess, like gave him a medal because of a cool play he wrote. This is just 18th century stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. People getting in trouble for their blog posts and then uh-huh. getting awards for plays. That's how it works. Uh, a lot of his biography is he wrote a thing insulting someone in power and then that person used their power against him for a short period of time and then he kept writing. <laughs> uh, he did get like he got in trouble in Paris after he came back from England because he wrote a bunch of stuff saying how good England was <laughs> like this dude just doesn't quit. Uh, and then he had a couple long relationships, one with a marquise which is French, the Marquess, I don't know, a lady. Are you, okay. <laughs> I was the, like a Mar, whatever, the, I don't know how to pronounce it. But it's the, yeah, okay. Anyway. The, the woman version of a. Like Marquis. a duchess. Yes. Like a, yes. Uh-huh. Um, but then he left her to go be with his niece. And he was with his niece for the rest of his life. 
Nice. Nice. Can't no. spell niece without nice. Oh, no, terrible. Uh, also, apparently a month before he died, he joined the Freemasons because Ben Franklin told him to. <laughs> Voltaire just got up to a bunch of stuff, it seems. Um, he wrote just everything. He just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. Lots of plays and poetry. Lots of histories. All uh, His couple of histories like shifted the focus away from diplomacy and military stuff to like cultural and societal factors which is probably a lot of him being upset at people at power still uh in his private letters andrew he would use the phrase crush the infamous which uh-huh. sort of means like fight the power like you know anybody who's in charge you gotta take them down sure so i'm on board with that um something i don't know if it factors in does like how much religion is in this book would you say there is a fair amount of it, but like, I'm not. I don't really feel qualified to to talk about any of it. But yeah, there's <laughs> there's a good amount of like religious satire. Okay. In this. Yeah. I'm um, I am led to understand. And we will unpack what best of all possible worlds means. Um, he was a deist, which is like the age of enlightenment thing, where folks basically were like, you don't need to go to church. And have some sort of revelation of what God is. Like you could just be really smart and figure out what God did and what his plan is. And that'll work too. Um, Like Spinoza is involved in that. I think, I don't know if Descartes was a deist or not. Um, Someone's going to write an email telling me one way or the other. And I will maybe read it. Um, But he he is kind of like... Read all of our emails. (laughs) He did... Uh, preach a lot of like religious tolerance which folks have held up against some writing he did in letters and other documents that were like pretty anti-semitic or pretty like he said a lot of bad stuff about muhammad and islam um and he wrote about only jewish people being descended from adam and eve which gave him like some kind of like some leeway to be pretty racist about some stuff. I was reading an interesting article by Laurie Schrag uh, called Confronting Philosophy's Antisemitism. This is from a 2019 New York Times article. And just in general, like when you teach someone as quote unquote important as Voltaire, who's this super smart thinker from the Renaissance and the Enlightenment, like we should probably also mention any kind of heinous stuff that he said that like cuts off other uh you know areas of the world from contributing to modern society Um, how do you mean well like saying like having a a curriculum of western quote-unquote philosophers which is just europe and then in your college courses having non-western philosophy as like treating one as the like spine of philosophical thought from Greece, and then the other, the other one is this ancillary, yeah, like electives, uh, curio. That yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I recommend folks who are interested in Voltaire as a philosopher uh, go read that essay. Um, I didn't mention Andrew. This was actually a Patreon recommendation from Matthew. I want to make sure I read what Matthew wrote before we get into this book. Yeah, him. Uh, Matthew said, it's biting and funny and something I think you two would get a kick out of. It's short enough that a lot of the book could be covered in a lot of Voltaire's quips about different topics. I, I don't know how you feel about his quips, Andrew. 
It's also a good way to see how people 275 years ago were objectively the same as today. <laughs> we just don't see it in most of the writing that has survived from centuries earlier. Like the graffiti, this, I don't know, Matthew went on a tangent here. Much like the graffiti found in ancient Rome where Romans make fun of each other, like bathroom stall graffiti, people are the same through the millennia, just norms and what is considered proper have changed. I that, guess I that agree. Is, <laughs> that is true. There is like what graffiti we have that's preserved from antiquity does like there is a lot of like genitalia references. Sure. Just like typical bathroom stall stuff. Sure. Yes. Um, so the other the last thing we'll say about Voltaire, um, he is famous for a lot of like quotes and aphorism th- aphorisms and things. One I know that gets tossed around a lot uh, in the in like gotta hear both sides languages i quote i disapprove of what you say but i will defend to the death your right to say it you may have heard that phrase bandied about oh yeah no people love to say that when uh someone is telling them to stop saying a horrible thing yeah actually voltaire never said it it was written by evelyn beatrice hall who was writing a book called friends of voltaire in 1906 uh and was her attempt to summarize Voltaire's attitude towards another writer, but she wrote it in the first person, and so people thought that Voltaire said it. So, is, he didn't say it. Just leave that one be. Maybe we can just leave that one alone. I will defend to your death the right that you have to paraphrase what you think someone else might have said. Hey, we've been doing it for years, Andrew. Hey. hey. Nice. nice. You want to you get into the book? Sure. <laughs> I, I have so, some okay. other background stuff, but I think I want to make sure we don't go too long before actually. No, like, you can. Well, you can. You can get into background stuff if I if I bring the things up. Because here's the thing about Candide: is it's very. There are characters and there is plot, but neither is super important to the book because it's just it's just making a point yeah. about a thing. Yes, and Voltaire's point is that. This particular philosophy, the best of all possible worlds theory that this German guy, uh, Gottfried Leibniz, Leibniz came up with. Leibniz? That guy. Gottfried. I, sometimes you look up how to pronounce a thing and it's all just like YouTube. It's either YouTube bots who are just doing basic text to speech and not doing any better a job than I would. Or it's like 18 minute long videos from some professor where he might say the name at like minute seven, but yeah. I can't, you know, you can't find it just scrubbing through. <laughs> sure. So what, what else do we know about Leibniz Leibniz? I was just going to, I was going to talk about his theory. Uh, so he's, there's the, there's this thing. Let me tell me if you've heard about this. There's this thing called the problem of evil, which is that evil exists and it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but if, if you're thinking specifically in terms of like theology so god exists and he created the world and he's benevolent and he's omnipotent and he knows everything and and he is without flaw right yes he's um yes he's perfect god is perfect he's a, that's a deal with god so if and this is this is a classical like bible school camp question if God exists, then how come so much bad stuff happens? I believe the term is theodicy, which is a word. A word I wish that's I knew. That's a book that we read for Stop. another. That's 
Emily Wilson's translation of that is very I good. wish I had that word for you to make that joke during Hellboys because it would have been excellent. It would have been very relevant to Hellboys because we struggle with this question a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but break it down. What is Gottfried's answer to this, Andrew? Okay, so <laughs> I don't even find I don't even find this internally consistent. So that you need a whole book to tear this down is a bit beyond me. But here we go. This is from the Wikipedia page, just to kind of get putting that out there. Yeah, sure. Uh, right up front. Uh, number one, God has the idea of infinitely many universes. So do Two, I. Only yeah. only one of these universes can actually exist. Three, God's choices are subject to the principle of sufficient reason. That is, God has reason to choose one thing or another. Four, God is good. Five, therefore, the universe that God chose to exist is the best of all possible worlds. And so if I am to boil this down, my understanding of it is that God is just cobbling together the best universe that exists out of all the options and even though there's bad stuff that's happening, it's better than the alternative. <laughs> yes, that is. I think that that is what that breakdown is saying. I was doing a little reading uh, before I found that same summary that you did, which is really good, actually. That got, if suffi- it's sufficient reason for anything to be the way that it is, and um, that you know that comes up that that is quoted. Oh, directly. Sufficient reason line huh. is, is repeated in Voltaire. Um, the, it gets in. I've read a little bit that it gets into the fact that, like, yes, there are there are bad things in the world, and man has free will. So clearly, God put the bad things there to help us learn about ourselves and become more. Sort of like how he put the dinosaur bones there to test us. Oh yes, right, sure. It's sort of like. <laughs> Uh, but just the idea that the flaw, if there are flaws in our experience of the universe, it is only because of our own inability to comprehend why they are there. Um, and that God has a plan. And this is th- clearly this is what he made. But then but why would God make us? incapable of comprehending well andrew what craig i don't know (laughs) (laughs) we've been doing this book podcast for a long time we've come at this question i feel we come at it like every hundred episodes or so and then we like really spent a long time with it in hellboys i do not have an answer and clearly that's all the amount of time that i could spend on this question (laughs) I mean, one of my favorite question formats is is a riff on the could God make a burrito that's so hot that he yeah. couldn't eat it. And this is sort of like that, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> could God have a theory of evil or goodness like so complicated that even his own creations couldn't understand it? <laughs> yeah, that's not what I was thinking when I like it. Uh, so, so there's this best of all possible worlds theory that exists and Candide reads it and I imagine he thinks about it for about 17 seconds and he's like, this is stupid. I should write a whole book about how stupid this is. Oh, you mean Voltaire reads it and then decides to write Candide. Yes. Yes. And writes Candide about how stupid it is. He published it in 1759, published under the pseudonym Dr. Ralph. Did you see that? I did, I did notice on the cover of this book, it, d- it does say Ralph. 
Dr. Ralph, uh, he admitted to the authorship in 1768. It was quite scandalous. Did he explain that name or nope. is it like Voltaire again? Voltaire we just got to guess. Okay. Um, and it was pretty scandalous because it was like, hey, uh, your idea of God is bogus. Um, all these countries making all these decisions are bad. Everybody in power sucks. Um, yeah. So, of course, that never makes anybody happy when, when a book comes out that says all that stuff. Yeah, Godfrey Leibniz has this wig in his wig. It's just like a big, it's really big. It's a big wig. Oh, I see. You think he was pretty important, uh, huh? Who decided? <laughs> if God exists and we're living in the best of all possible worlds, then why did we for like hundreds of years think that these wigs were just super, super good looking? God put them and there cool on purpose thing for to test us. To Mm, got to put the wigs there to test us. Could could people truly love these men with these terrible wigs on them? Anyway, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, this is kind of goofy and I don't know where it's going and it's kind of moving kind of fast from thing to thing, that's the experience of reading Candide. Oh, sure. <laughs> also. Um, but so, okay. So this best of all possible worlds uh, theory, I almost said fallacy, but I said it's theory, <laughs> the theory is represented in Candide by this character of Dr. Pangloss, who I think the, I was, I was just listening to a, a YouTube video trying to learn how to pronounce a couple of names in this. And my understanding is that this name like translates roughly to like a big mouth. Yeah. I heard <laughs> like it as Dr. like all big talk mouth. also, but either, yeah. either one works. It's bad. It's bad. <laughs> Pangloss was professor of metaphysico theologico cosmologology. Sure. He proved admirably that there is no effect without a cause and that in this best of all possible worlds, the Baron's castle was the most magnificent of castles and his lady, the best of all possible baronesses. It is demonstrable, said he, that things cannot be otherwise than as they are for all being created for an end. All is necessarily for the best end. Observe that the nose has been formed to bear spectacles. Thus we have spectacles. Legs are visibly designed for stockings and we have stockings. Stones were made to be hewn and to construct castles. Therefore, my lord has a magnificent castle. For the greatest baron in the province ought to be the best lodged. Pigs were made to be eaten. Therefore, we eat pork all the year round. Consequently, they who assert that all is well have said a foolish thing. They should have said, all is for the best. Okay, so what I'm gathering is this book is satire. Because no is... one would be that way. Right, like it's all <laughs> it's all backwards from like you... <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't say, well, we have stockings because look at leg. Look at those things. They're just crying out for stockings. Yes, you wouldn't. No, it's the it goes the other way. Like legs or it doesn't even go the other way. Like the cause and effect are all are all. Yeah, he's he's deliberately making fun of of an application of cause and effect, which is a yeah, very it's like legs, thing. Yeah. Legs get cold and they need to be covered. And so leg coverings are shaped like legs are. It's not legs are visibly designed for stockings and we have stockings. Like, that's stupid. <laughs> and who is Dr. Pangloss teaching? Dr. Pangloss is teaching Candide, our hero. Possibly should have introduced him before the 25-minute mark. His name's, on, his name's on the top of the book his and top of the he's episode. He's got top building. Yeah. Uh, so Candide is a guy. He's, it's, he's a German. He lives... In this castle, he's like the, the like bastard, 
or like illegitimate nephew of the guy who owns the castle. Okay. And so it's like the Baron and Candide is there. Pangloss is a tutor. There's a chambermaid named Paquette. There is, uh, and there's the Lady Cunagonde, or how would you pronounce this? This is the thing I was trying Cunagonde? to learn how to pronounce for 20 minutes, and I, I couldn't figure it out. Cunagond. 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 Cunagond is easier to say, so we'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Lady Cunagond, who is just, who is related enough to Candide that probably it wouldn't pass muster in our society, but is not related enough that it's a problem for this book. Uh, she and Candide have a thing for each other. Mm. Um, and Pangloss, the tutor, also has a thing for the chambermaid Paquette. So we will we will talk about that a little bit more later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One day, Cunegonde, while walking near the castle in a little wood, which they called a park, saw between the bushes Dr. Pangloss giving a lesson in experimental natural philosophy to her mother's chambermaid, a little brown wench, very pretty and very docile, as Miss Cunegonde had a great disposition for the sciences, she breathlessly observed the repeated experiments of which she was a witness. She clearly perceived the force of the doctor's reasons, the effects, and the causes. She turned back greatly flurried, quite pensive, and filled with the desire to be learned, <laughs> dreaming that she might well be a sufficient reason for young Candide, and he for her. Oh, I get it. It's... Wait, he doesn't just mean reason, does he? No, he means doing it. Yeah! So Cunegonde sees Pangloss and this chambermaid making it or studying experimental philosophy or whatever <laughs> in the bushes. And so she and Candide go behind a curtain and start to make out. But the Baron sees them doing that. And so Candide is ejected. And then from here follows a series of misadventures. Yeah. So it's my understanding that this book, uh, get, it gets a lot of comparisons to uh picaresque novels which i read specifically gulliver's travels as yes. an inspiration for this gulliver's travels of like hero goes to a bunch of uh you know different parts of the world and each one like satirizes a part of contemporary society i've seen it getting like it's an anti it's it's not anti picaresque novel but it's like it uses the form of a rascally hero who goes on a bunch of sort of disconnected adventures. Um, I've also seen it, people describe it as a building's roman, except he maybe only learns one thing by the end, so that's not as useful. Mm -hmm. um, I was interested that you noted that he is like an illegitimate heir, which I guess gets us closer to the picaresque novel, because those are supposed to be people who are like sort of outside polite society. Well, in a, a very briefly in a couple of instances drives action okay sure 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 for him to be technically not worthy of marrying cunegonde okay okay um but what you're describing sounds like now we go on a series of loosely affiliated stories that yeah. just repeatedly drive home voltaire's point so I, yeah i can't even because some of them go by so Quickly. And I think if I, you know, if we were scholars of this book and we wanted to talk about all the the European politics and the, you know, the religious politics and every single thing that Voltaire is choosing to rip to shreds in this book, 
like there's there's one point where he criticized I think it's France's like holdings in Canada when they are like losing their last provinces in that in that country by saying that they're like fighting over a few feet of snow or something. He's just kind of go he's going at everybody. Okay. He's an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> a real uh a real Bill Maher character. A real sort of Ricky Gervais oh, sort of. Yeah, okay. <laughs> It's my understanding not to not that we should or can itemize all of these critiques, but one of the things that I didn't know before coming in with research was that the Seven Years War was happening while he was writing this, which was like everybody in Europe got involved and everybody was fighting over each other's crap and fighting in colonial territories. And Voltaire was like, y'all suck. I'm just going to write a book about everyone. Mm-hmm. having a bad time in this terrible war. Yeah, that's kind of what happens. Everybody's having a pretty bad time. <laughs> so, okay, Candy gets ejected from the castle. He then gets picked up by some army recruiters, and then he tries to just kind of walk away from the army, and they catch him, and they'd be like, you can't do that. And so they whip him pretty bad, and then he, <laughs> and then he escapes, and he makes his way to a place where he like finds Pangloss who has syphilis that he got from the chambermaid. Okay. And Pangloss explains to him, well, the whole castle got busted up and everybody's dead, including Cunegonde. And Candide is like, Oh no. But you know, Pangloss holds firmly to his best of all possible worlds thing. Um, they go, to, they sail for L- Lisbon. Yep, in Portugal. Uh, but the Lisbon earthquake happens. Oh, that was a bad one. Yeah, that was, was a, a real a bad, bad earthquake. <laughs> um, the sort of benefactor that that Pangloss and Candide had, had found, like, is sailing the sh- ship, and in the in the chaos of the earthquake, like somebody tries to throw him overboard, like the the their benefactor. He's an he's an Anabaptist is the oh, thing sure. I remember about him. Mm-hmm. Um, tries to throw the Anabaptist overboard, but like the force of doing that plus the force of like the earthquake makes him like accidentally fall overboard instead. And then the Anabaptist tries to save him, and the <laughs> and then he throws the Anabaptist overboard while he's trying to save him and then doesn't look back. Are my pronouns confusing you? A little bit, but somebody got tossed off a boat. There's a bad guy, there's a bad guy in the Anabaptist. Bad guy tries to toss the Anabaptist over and fails and falls over himself. Okay. Anabaptist tries to save the bad guy. In the act of saving the bad guy, the Anabaptist is thrown overboard by the bad guy. Okay, sure. Who escapes and continues to live. So the entire book is sort of these weird little convoluted digs at this idea that we could possibly live in the best of all possible worlds. Um, the argument that Voltaire is making, I think, is just like the sheer quantity of bad stuff that happens is too great to for this like best of all possible worlds thing to possibly be true. Yeah. I was reading about the Lisbon earthquake, which killed like easily 10 to 30,000 people due to fires and tsunamis. And, uh, it seemed to spark sort of a, like, what are we even doing here 
energy from all of the other Enlightenment people at the time. In the same way that you look at like all the writers that came out of World War One and were like, y'all, what? What? The trenches? War? Like, what are we doing? Um, do the characters or does Pangloss attempt to like rationalize the suffering like make a I mean, good it's, make a good excuse for it or say like god made us endure this stuff for a reason because that seems like something that someone who believes in this would do in the same way that he would say well we have legs so of course we have pants like that's just how the logic goes this is, I mean, I don't know if this answers your question or not. This is a bit during this earthquake sequence where Pangloss, I think, is is kind of just trying to continue being a, a tutor and drawing an answer out of his, his student. What can be the sufficient reason of this phenomenon, said Pangloss. This is the last day, cried Candide. <laughs> okay. Yeah, always looking for a reason because there must be one. As opposed yeah, to staring not, not into the abyss. Well, and not necessarily being the one to offer that reason, because that would, I don't know, that's not what Voltaire is doing. I think by asking Candide and thus the reader what the sufficient reason could possibly be, you are drawing attention to how unanswerable that question is when an earthquake kills a bunch of people. Sure, sure. How does it end for them? Oh, so... They get, man, this, so cause and effect is so weird in this book. Basically they get, uh, Pangloss gets hanged and killed and Candide is almost killed. Why? But. Cause reasons. So they are, they are in Lisbon. They're trying to do good, but Pangloss starts talking about his theory with a member apparently of the Portuguese Inquisition. Yep. Uh huh. And, uh, he and Candide are trussed up and they're going to be executed to help prevent another natural disaster um candide is rescued by it's like this old woman who turns out to be in the service of cunagon to actually survived surprise um and that i don't know and then because cunagon is like promised to somebody else at this point they have to run away and the old woman tells them about all the misfortunes that happened to her, including getting half her butt cut off and ate. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> this old woman teaches Candide this thing where, like, if you're on a boat with a bunch of people, you can talk to any of them. And they all at some point in their lives will believe themselves to have been the most mis- like unfortunate people who ever lived. Oh, OK. Just driving home the the scale of human misery that exists in Candide and in like the human condition. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so this I don't know. This just, it just goes like this. Like Candide goes a bunch of places. He and Cunegonde get separated and brought back together a couple times people who are thought to be dead turn out not to be dead but then they get killed like pangloss is like comes back toward the end of it and he didn't get killed from his hanging after all candide kills like three people whoa trying to be with cunegonde including cunegonde's unnamed brother but that one because his, because her brother was like, "Well, you're illegitimate and you can't marry my sister." And Candide's like, "Well, I kill you now." 
And then later they like Candide rescues them from like slavery and he's still like, well, you can't marry my sister. And so they just kind of disappear him. They just kind of sell him back into slavery no. kind of a little bit. Okay. Um, they, uh, Candide and this, uh, the servant slash friend that he makes named Cacambo, uh, go to this place called El Dorado, which is they're in the Americas for a while. I think this is sort of South American. And they talk about how, it, it's a place where people can't really get into and get out of. Like they got into it by like deciding we're just going to take a raft down a river and we're going to see where the river takes us because any river must eventually lead to civilization. Sure. So they get to El Dorado, which is this magical place where like the dirt is gold and the rocks are rubies, but nobody who lives there really cares about these things because they're just surrounded by them all the time. And so they ask, okay, we got to go home, but can we, can we take like some sheep that are like loaded down with this dirt and stuff that you don't care about? And, and the Eldorado people are like this, why you Europeans are so obsessed with our fancy rocks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. But okay. You can have some sheep. And so they are, they are escorted out, but then most of the sheep die. And the last couple of the sheep get, like Candide is being really stupid about his money. He he asks for transport for these sheep. And the guy who runs the ship is like, well, can you do it for like 10,000 monies? And <laughs> Candide is like, well, 10,000 monies. Yeah, sure. And the captain's like, wow, he gave up 10,000 monies. Oh, like, it's no. no. Big deal. Well, now it's 20,000. Now monies. it's a shakedown. Yeah, it goes up like that for a while until it just like he loads the sheep up onto the ship. And then as Candide is boarding, he sails away without him. With the That's good. That's good. Okay, Voltaire, I see what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, and then a bunch more stuff happens, and eventually Candide finds Cunegonde again, but she's ugly now because she's been <laughs> like working in the fields for a while, but he still wants to marry her because he said he would. And they all end up together, Candide and and Cunegond and Cacambo and this old woman, and but they all they're all miserable, <laughs> and they're all thinking like, why are we so why are we so miserable? We can do like even Pangloss is there, and Pangloss doesn't believe in his dumb thing anymore, but he won't say it. Like he won't, he still professes, I think, to believe in it, but uh, but he doesn't anymore because he can't anymore. <laughs> Does does Candide come up with a philosophy of his own, or is the book kind of just been like, meh, meh. well, the <laughs> the end solution is just like do your just like do your work, just like live your life and do your work and tend your own garden. We cultivate our own garden is the like the last line of the book. Just like mind your own business. Hmm. And you'll probably be mostly fine. Just like focus on your own stuff. Hmm. So he's a libertarian, is what you're saying. Gee whiz, maybe. I've I've read that quote. I've read the "cultivate your garden" quote before, and I it I find it. I know what it is saying in context, but lifted out of context, it feels frustrating because it feels like very. Well, I'm just gonna let my fellow man deal with earthquakes and whatever is bothering him, 
and I'm just going to sit in my house and grow tomatoes that feed me and no one else. Um, but it, as a as a mind your own business axiom, maybe it's more well, useful. So they, so they start minding their own businesses and things are things get basically fine. The whole little society entered into this laudable design according to their different abilities. Uh, their little plot of land produced plentiful crops. Cunagon was indeed very ugly, but she became an excellent pastry cook. Paquette worked at embroidery. The old woman looked after the linen. They were all not accepting uh, Friar Giroflay, this other character I didn't really talk about, <laughs> of some service or other, for he made a good joiner and became a very honest man. Pangloss sometimes said to Candide, there is a concatenation of events in this best of all possible worlds. For if you had not been kicked out of a magnificent castle for love of Miss Cunegonde, if you had not been put into the Inquisition, if you had not walked over America, if you had not stabbed the Baron, if you had not lost all your sheep from the fine country of El Dorado, you would not be here eating preserved citrons and pistachio nuts. All that is very well, answered Candide, but let us cultivate our garden. Mm. Well, it sounds like, Andrew, that we have made the best of all possible podcasts. Sure. <laughs> because if there were a better podcast to have been made about Candide, surely we would have made it. Surely we would have made it. Yeah, no, this theory holds just as much water as the best of all possible worlds theory does in the first place. I do think it is interesting that a man purportedly as smart as Voltaire did not pose a more fervent like theory instead of what he didn't like about Leibniz but that we are we've already referenced other people who are very like that who are just like whatever just tear down the system I don't like what you have to say (laughs) I don't have another option but I definitely disagree with you I mean mind your own business isn't isn't nothing yeah tend your own garden isn't nothing I think, I mean, in, in not coming up with another grand unifying theory of like good and evil in the universe, I think Voltaire is just saying it's stupid to try to do that. Okay, that's reasonable. Whether I, you agree with that or not is, is no, up to you. Yeah, but. He, that is what he's doing. You're right. You're right. Um, and it just sounds like it's an excuse to lampoon a bunch of stuff he saw in the news. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> but there wasn't like political cartoons back then for him to to use instead. So we had to write a book. No, yeah, maybe I would maybe I would have come away with a better understanding of like the symbolism and the satire if everything had been like individually labeled like, "Oh, this vulture is taxes." <laughs> You know how really good political cartoons do that kind of comedy? I love that kind of comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the the, ba- the bag of money he has is history. Mhm. Mm-hmm. The hand reaching into your pocket is Nancy Pelosi. Oh my god. What's I like the ones that are like I do like the ones that are wrap around good things where it's like here's a town that's like somebody's quote unquote worst nightmare and it just sounds rad. It sounds super cool, yeah. Yeah. Like a, I, this is the future of liberals. Want. Yes, I love those cartoons. I want to live in there. Anyway, uh, if you want to tell us what would be in your best of all possible worlds, I'm talking to the listener now. You can email us. Mm, yeah. Uh, I mean, you do you want to tell me what's in your best possible worlds, Andrew? Is just it more one sleep? where just one where my baby wasn't teething and where the the last like 
three months had gone some other way and where my grounding in European history was sufficient that I could sound really smart talking about the book Candide. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just to name the things that I'm thinking about right this very minute. My best of all possible worlds would be made out of pizza. Well, that's easier, isn't it? Is it, though? To exist in a world made out of pizza? <laughs> You're tearing apart your own theory. I, I don't know. Like this, the I'm voltairing myself. <laughs> does the pizza regenerate so it's never like so it never gets like rotten? Pizza, Is it cold pizza, hot pizza? Pizza can neither be created nor destroyed. I want to live in mm. that world. Mm. Delicious. Send us an email, overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at OverduePod. Thanks to Sal, Christine, Graham, Mario, or Mario, Starfish Chick, Juliana, Rebecca, Katie, Lauren, Amy, Caitlin, and the rest for hitting us up on social media this week. We love to talk to you there uh, most of the time. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? Then go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there we have a link to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, our RSS feed. We've also got stuff on Spotify and Stitcher, yeah. anywhere where you find podcasts. Uh, we've got a new listener page with episodes that we think went well. I'm just going to leave a long, meaningful pause here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've also got a Patreon project, patreon.com slash overdue pod. Uh, get episodes early if you want them, including our newly begun, newly initiated long read project, Genie Babies, where we read the Thousand One Nights, also known as the Arabian Nights. A few nights at a time, basically, is the premise of that one. Yeah, that's that will not be as long as Hellboys or Homer Time, but should be a fun project nonetheless. Go check that out. Next week, I am reading or discussing The Vegetarian by Han Kang. Uh, I'm like two-thirds away through right now. I'm enjoying it a lot. It is a weird one. Um, love a weird one shout out to the composer of our new theme music nick larangis um Uh, i think that's it thanks everybody for coming and listening and until we talk to you next time try to be happy That was a HeadGum Podcast.